Thanks for stopping by. I'm Corey Edwards, writer, director, comedian, and Esquire Magazine's Best Eyebrows 2015. You know what I'm talking about. If you've seen my eyebrows, you know. They're incredible. Um, I wanted to talk about a number of things, but uh, boy, I just saw Pete Davidson uh, once again on my TV set endorsing, I don't know what, uh, water, uh, technology, uh, another one of his own shows or movies. And I just, I have to say, I have nothing against Pete Davidson, but uh, since I have a platform here, I'm just going to say, I just want to ask everybody out there, what is Pete Davidson? What is he? What is he? Don't tell me he's an entertainer or a comedian or an actor because he's not, he's not quite any of those. He like, I don't know how he did it. Listen, I know that a lot of you guys listening on this podcast, myself included, have been working really hard for many years to do anything creative, to move the ball forward at all. And this guy, uh, I don't know, just right out of high school, just kind of like stumbled his way into international success, is dating the most beautiful women in the world, shrugged his way onto Saturday Night Live, and uh, he doesn't really do any impersonations, doesn't really do any characters, got a regular spot on Weekend Update every other week. I don't know what, I don't know if he saved Lauren Michaels' life. I don't know if he was created in a lab. I think maybe he's a giant uh, psychological experiment that they, that the Illuminati have set upon America. They're like, let's, let's find the most normal, underwhelming guy and give him like every famous thing in the world and just see if it makes people crazy. And I got to tell you, Illuminati, it's working. It's working. Again, I got nothing against the guy. The guy is very likable. But what is he? Was he created genetically to frustrate other creative people, other comedians, other actors. I'm just saying I know 30 other people right now who are way more charming and talented than him, who I honestly, I've seen work way harder for decades. So, um, you know, uh, Pete Davidson, if you're listening, no hard feelings. I'm sure I, from the type of guy you are, you're probably wearing a giant pink hoodie with a unicorn on it and just shrugging about this. So maybe next time you, uh, uh, Judd Apatow hands you a movie, um, call up me and some of my friends. We'll go be in it too. Um, anyway, this is turning a little negative and I want to keep it positive. And, um, you know, just, uh, I don't know, uh, if, if Pete Davidson is going to be crowned King next week or whatever, but, but, uh, let him go, let him do his thing. And uh, speaking of doing your thing, I like to talk in this opening segment about creativity and doing your thing creatively. And I have hard time doing that. I think that maybe I am of a personality that uh, gets into my creative mode a little faster. And I've also kind of turned it into, um, you know, a, a working muscle in my brain that I turn on professionally. And I think that a lot of creative people, I'm seeing my kids go through this right now over the summer, they have a lot of creative projects they want to work on. They've got a lot of big things that uh, we are having to put tools in place to motivate them and to discipline them to even get to them. It, and it's funny because I think that we put a lot more value on other quote-unquote regular jobs or school or degrees, and we get very regimented and disciplined about accomplishing those things. But when it comes to our own creativity, our own projects, the novel you've been working on, the painting you swear you're going to finish, 
the, the short play, the one act, the, the short film, whatever it is that you're working on, your screenplay, I know a lot of people that have a lot of those things unfinished in drawers, undone in boxes, and it it really does take a very focused effort to discipline yourself. So here's here's some ways to do that. Here's some tools. Um, I am big on making lists. Take your big thing, break it down to a bunch of little things. Don't just say write screenplay with a box next to it because it'll take a long time to check that box. Say write paragraph, um, name characters, uh, write outline. That's something you can do in a few weeks. And uh, you might even write it every day on your calendar. Work on outline, work on outline. Um, you know, so making lists and putting it on a piece of paper or not just on your phone, but something out in front of you. And maybe even tacking up inspirational quotes on your wall. Um, I would also say that when you get up in the morning and you think, I'm going to write on my script today. Don't do it in your pajamas every day as you watch your beard slowly grow down your neck. Like, put on real clothes. Shower. Because you too are going to a job. Your job is to write your screenplay. So if you set aside like, you know, this month or this summer, I'm working on a screenplay. Get up, put fresh clothes on, wash your face, get a great breakfast, maybe even uh, get up a little early and um, treat it like a job. Even though it's creative and it's this fuzzy, uh, touchy-feely thing that sometimes you're embarrassed to even describe to your friends and family that you're working on. Describe it to yourself as a job. Say, I am a writer. Not I want to be a writer. Not I want to be a painter. I want, I am. Just say, I am a writer and get up and do it. And then the other thing that helps me, I know we have a lot of night owls probably out there listening, but if I am falling behind, if I am getting a little too flabby in my discipline with my creative project, I will suddenly just go, all right, tomorrow I'm getting up at 5 a.m. And that's not fun. Um, but I sort of turn it into a mission. <laughs> I'll use the word mission here since uh, what we're talking about this week are some mission movies. Make it your mission to attack that creative project. Get up early. Get that hot cup of coffee. Go to that favorite coffee shop. Whatever you think will trigger you. You don't have to do it every day, but it's a great jumpstart day to get up super early and do that. So I just want to encourage you guys. I'm going to keep it short because uh, we have a special segment I'm going to do here before we uh, bring on my 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 uh, co-host, my guest co-host, and we talk about a bunch of uh, movies uh, by Mr. Tommy Cruz. Uh, we're talking about the Mission Impossible movies, and it's amazing how many of those they have made, he has made, and um, it's kind of an astounding achievement. They just and and it's a unique franchise in that it just keeps getting better and better, and we're looking forward to another one uh, this summer. Um, so you, you talk about a guy that's disciplined, Tom Cruise. I mean, say what you want. He jumps over couches and shouts at Oprah. Uh, he probably buys the occasional white leopard to give to a girlfriend. He's a little loony when you hear about uh, some of the things that he does in his life. But I'll tell you one thing he is absolutely is disciplined. He disciplines his mind. He disciplines his body. And all he talks about in interviews is how much he loves movies. And he has been laser focused on doing what he loves. Or, you know, even when he wasn't famous... He was climbing and running towards that thing that he loved. He had clearly had goals. I really wish he would kind of uh, write a book, not on Scientology, but, but on one about how he achieves his goals, because I'm sure he has a very specific routine. Anyway, before we talk about the movies with our uh, uh, guest host, Nick Flora, I thought I'd bring on um, a movie critic that I bring on from time to time, um, not because he's good, but mainly because he works really cheap. 
his name is Ron Lamont, and I asked him to quickly review, if he could, the Mission Impossible movies in his own way. So uh, let's uh, let's let him do his thing. Salutations, cinephiles. This is your local movie critic, Ron Lamont, and I love movies. Even the movies that I haven't seen, or I've only seen 10 minutes of, or I've seen on cable with the sound off. But these movies I have mostly seen most of. The Mission Impossible movies with Thomas J. Cruz running and diving and blowing himself up for our delightment. Now, I don't have a lot of time, and there are what? 15, 16 of these movies? So I'm going to run down the whole list and give you my brief reviews of the Mission Impossible movies. So light that fuse and let's go. And I do want to emphasize, I've at least seen the poster for these movies or I've seen at least 10 minutes of them. First, we have Mission Impossible 1. I don't think it's called Mission Impossible 1. I think it's just called Mission Impossible. No, technically, grammatically, Mission colon impossible. But you don't say colon. That sounds gross. This is about Tom Cruise and his team because the show used to be about a team and then all of a sudden, whoops, spoiler alert, they killed his whole team and everybody betrays him and he goes on the run. By the way, this is the one where Tom Cruise has a buzz cut. It makes him a little uptight, but it also makes him uh, very highly strung to jump from uh, a helicopter to a train and take a piece of bubble gum and blow up a fish tank. That's all I can remember. Also, lots of rubber masks, like in every single one of these. Next, we go on to Mission Impossible 2. Mission colon impossible 2. And that's the only title they have for it, is 2. And this was directed by that guy John Woo who likes slow motion dubs and slow motion fire and slow motion motorcycles. So Tom Cruise grew his hair out so he could be slow motion too. And ooh-wee was he. I mean, if you want to see a guy dance a ballet on a motorcycle, see this one. If you want to see a movie that's more over the top than I am, see Mission Impossible 2. Then we have, guess what? Spoiler, Mission Impossible 3. Or Mission Impossible III for you Roman numeral experts. This one was directed by J.J. Abrams and it got pretty severe. It had Philip Seymour Hoffman and he was trying to shoot Tommy Cruise's wife and then he almost got thrown out of a plane and it's super intense. I do remember that Felicity... Got her brain popped by, like, a small bomb inside her head. It made her eye go sideways. Ooh, I do not want to see that again. As a matter of fact, after that, I was like, I'm out. Off to more popcorn. After Mission Impossible 3, this is when they started naming the movies with words instead of numbers. We have Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. That sounds like a scary horror movie. Or maybe Thomas J. Cruz went off and joined the Ghostbusters. But he did not. He just went ghost protocol. Because guess what? For about the fourth time, his whole agency betrayed him. I have to say, the IMF has some bad HR. You know what I'm saying? Human relations. And, and I think they should be hiring people that maybe take a lie detector test before they sign on. Because everybody just keeps betraying Thomas J. Cruz. You know what, guys? I don't know if his middle initial is J. It just sounds good. I'm trying to sound intelligent. But in Ghost Protocol, he runs around with just three or four people. And that's where those three or four people went on to all the other name movies. There was Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. It is not the sequel to Rogue One. And I only realized that about halfway through. But he went rogue again. And so did the rest of his team. Then we had Mission Impossible Fallout. And that's where Tom Cruise would fall out of a helicopter and fall out of a building. He fell out of a lot of places, so I understand that uh, that title. He also fell off of a motorcycle, but 
but they don't want to call it Mission Impossible Fall Off. They wanted to make it fall out. So anyway, um, that also had a lot of people in it that, guess what, betrayed him. I would think that Tom Cruise would just want to grow a beard and live on an island after this, but nope, he's coming back for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. I don't know if this means that Tom Cruise is going to be dead at the end of this, but I can't wait to find out. It is part one, so that makes me think maybe, just maybe, there's a sequel. But we'll have to wait for that. This is Ron Lamont saying, leave me the center seat and I'm going to go get a BLT. Adios, moviegoers. It's Podcast Impossible, but made more possible with my special guest, Mr. Nick Flora. Nick, welcome back. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I guess I should probably say your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to watch uh, eight movies? How many movies? Seven movies? I don't know. How They all kind of blend together, and that doesn't mean that I don't enjoy them, but they definitely blend together. Well, they stop, they stop um, putting numbers on them, and so it's like three, four, five, six. Okay, six movies. We watched six movies. Six. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And you watched them all this week? Yeah. I Well, I've seen them many times, but I forget because they are very much like a bingeable snack where you're just like, oh, I shouldn't eat that all at once. And then you forget. And six months later, you're like, what happened in that movie? And you go back to the, <laughs> you go back to the, to the pantry and open up that snack pack again. And oof. But it's so, it's so fun. So I watched them all. Um, they, I don't know, watching them in a row this time, especially was interesting and we'll get into it but man uh yeah i watched them this week I've, i'm excited to see the new one almost went and saw it today but i i feel like that was just a bit too much you know yeah that would be uh maybe overstuffing yourself i think that I think um, so if you're if you're up for it as we did with indiana jones we we're, we're, we're going to talk through the whole franchise up to this point and then uh next week we'll talk about what we thought about this uh new one yeah i love it um and it's interesting because a lot of these movies blend together and, but I think once they get really consistent and we start, I, I feel like the, the series got better and better with each movie and now it's kind of hit its, its stride. It knows what it is. Um, but the wildly, <laughs> the wildly different first couple, uh, two or three of them, uh, at least they're distinctive, man. They're <laughs> they are that here's the thing. There really is kind of the first three, trying to figure out exactly what it what it is it's like it doesn't know what it is it's kind of like going through puberty yeah and then and then once it hits ghost protocol it makes sense also because that's when christopher mcquarrie takes over and just like directs all of them i think at that point well i believe ghost but, protocol and we'll get into it was directed by brad bird oh that is mr brad bird you're brad right bird and a rare uh live action uh, directing for him but yeah i think that that we'll talk about the uh, the christopher mcquarrie era that we're fully into yeah um that it seems like those guys are gonna make movies together till they die tom and chris and we know exactly how they're going to die because he can't <laughs> stop jumping off things. Yeah. And getting blown up. We, we, you know what? Longer. Let's be honest. We all can't wait. I mean, we don't want Tom Cruise to die. We don't want him no. to die, but we no. can't wait to read his obituary because it's going to be something special. It's going to be something. If it ends up being like some flare up of psoriasis that, or something like that, I don't right. know. It's going to be very disappointing. That'll be a bummer. Yeah. It really will. <laughs> Just some random accident where he, like, uh, yeah. He gets hit by another car uh, on the way to the set. It's, we can't have that. <laughs> it's got to be like, today Tom Cruise uh, perished uh, after he was strapped to a nuclear missile that was, yes. uh, you know, 
fired uh, into a moving train. That sounds about right. I can't yeah. wait to see it. Um, well, uh, and it was shot incredibly well. It was just gorgeous. Right. His, his, his death. He'll have the most, <laughs> he'll have the, most the best uh, photograph death of anyone. Yeah, easily. I really do forget, starting with Tom Cruise, I forget that he, and this maybe is by design, but I forget that he's a person because he is <laughs> maybe, maybe the most movie star, movie star of my life for sure. I'm born in the early 80s. Like, I know people before me have like a Burt Reynolds or that kind of thing. I Tom Cruise is like the movie star of my generation. And I forget because I'm like, I, and now as I get older and I'm doing the math in these movies, I'm like, oh, he was 38 when he did that. Oh, he was 50 when he did that. I'm like, buddy, just like, who do you need to hug you for it to be enough? Right. You, I'm really worried that you're doing this for us, but none of us asked you to. Right. I'm worried for him. <laughs> I mean, I, I will I will uh, uh, point to my wife who, when she saw the 10, uh, there was this 10 minute uh, documentary about this jump that he makes, this jump to parachute off the motorcycle. Yeah. And she's just like, what what does he need in his life? Like she said the yes. same thing, you know. And I love him and I'm so glad that he's doing this. I mean, he's such a, it really is hearkening back to another era. But, you know, and I just watched all the Indiana Jones movies getting ready for that. And, yeah. and even that Harrison Ford was a big movie star also, also still is. But you're just like, at some point, like, I just want him to be OK, because I really do. He does a good job of making you forget that he's a human being in the world. He's eating a salad somewhere right now. You know right. I mean? Well, yeah. Even like, in his <laughs> interviews, like all he talks about is I just love movies. I just love making them yeah. for you guys. Like, you know, I, I do want to know, like. Are you into like a hobby that we would love to know about? Like, I know Tom Hanks collects typewriters. What do you collect? Yeah, Tom? he does. Yeah. yeah, he. Yeah, what does he collect? Hospital bills. I yeah. Uh, well, uh, let's. Let, if I can talk about, and you, you've seen all of these in one week. I've seen them over the past yeah. like six months because I've been introducing okay. my boys to um, many of these. And okay. what, what's interesting is I started introducing them. I said, you know what? We just need to start watching Ghost Protocol. We'll just start there. And they're like, wait, there yeah. are three others. And I was like, ah, you, you, we can just start here. Really... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And You're there good. were reasons I had for that. And when I watched the first three, I realized why. Um, but I just kind of yeah. felt like they all glue together from that point on. But there are some consistencies sure. uh, that I that I see uh, that have that have been maintained. Uh, apart from Ving Rhames, I didn't realize, man, he's been from the get go. From the get go, yeah. Uh, from true. the from the jump, but they're also they do this, uh, you know, they do the opening title sequence with images you're about to watch in the movie you're already at, yeah. which is no other movie does that. So it feels like it feels, yeah. Uh, yeah, it definitely feels like a '70s, which it started as a '70s TV show, right? So it yeah, feels yeah. like that that kind of thing like oh we're about to see that thing like an opening uh, crawl of like a tv theme song right it's a very specific yeah they kept that aesthetic of like this like uh, even though they're very modern movies this the opening opening credits is always kind of like with a theme song uh, and, and all the images it feels like a, a show open from the 60s or 70s uh the other thing they've always kept constant with from the very first film uh masks 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 um, oh my gosh especially in the second one yeah. Oh my God. There were so, <laughs> there were so many mask gotchas in that. That was crazy. Gosh, we'll talk about yeah. it. Um, and it just seems like uh, if Tom Cruise could just find a team or an organization that would support him and not betray him constantly, it, that would be oh, great. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. These movies, 
I think are the sole reason I have trust issues. Watch <laughs> this, I'm like, oh, everybody could be, and you, and now here's the thing: they need to do like in that Shyamalan did back in the day, one movie without a twist, because I want to watch one movie where somebody doesn't betray somebody else. Because I'm looking for it. You know, Henry Cavill shows up, and I'm like, ah, that's stunt casting because he's Superman, so we yeah. expect him to be good, but he's going to end up being bad, and then he, you know, spoiler yeah. is. But yeah, yeah, but I I want one movie where they don't do that. Right. And I guess I should say, if people don't catch on, we're going to spoil every single one of these movies. Spoiler alert over everything. Yeah. Um, But we're not going to talk about the new one because we're we're both, we haven't seen it yet. And we wouldn't wouldn't do that to you guys. Um, No. But uh, we're going to spoil all the others because as you, we're going to talk about all the twists, but I think that this whole, this whole series is built on the theme of deceit. I mean, they are spies. Yeah. They are pretending to be other people, too. Let's be honest. Tom Cruise is constantly weaseling out of even being Ethan Hunt. He's, he's yeah. disguising himself and going undercover. So I guess you should expect for other people to betray him. But that happens in every single one of these movies. I know, except for the, there are standbys that we know we can trust being Ving Rhames and eventually uh, Simon Pegg. Right, but... right. Those guys. Oh, also... I love that these kind of movies is I just saw one of the movies where they had to make a transfer of 30 million dollars and takes takes about a minute, 30 seconds to get that done. I I wait a week to two weeks when I'm working with certain clients (laughs) to get a wire transfer. I don't know what world this is where they can go. And it's from like the Cayman Islands or something. Yeah, it's offshore accounts. Yes, immediate, immediate. Like, and you can check it on your phone. Up there, it is thirty million dollars. Anyway, well, let's 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 go through them. Uh, You've seen them recently. I've I've seen the very first one uh, very recently, and was struck with, um, you know, Todd and I talked about this with Raiders of the Lost Ark. I was struck with the fact that the original Mission Impossible movie Mm -hmm. was had a totally different goal. It wasn't let's. I mean, I'm sure everybody hopes to build a franchise, but they weren't thinking let's build a franchise they gave it to brian de palma and said let's make one great movie based on this great tv show and that's kind of what it feels like it is and it's also like in that era in the in the mid to late 90s where they were turning a lot of 70s nostalgia like a lot of seven late 60s 70s tv shows into movies like the brady bunch or like the mod squad or whatever And so, and this was just a part of that, which is funny. Like, it'd be, wouldn't it be amazing if we were on our eighth Brady Bunch movie by now? Like, right. that'd, be, that'd be incredible. <laughs> we're we're um, talking about the Mod Squad franchise today, guys. And that's the thing. The Mod Squad tanked. Like, it did so poorly. But Mission Impossible was a huge hit. So it really, you know, it's a great idea. And, in, in, you know, depending on who you ask. Well, I think that looking, I, looking back on this one, it, it kind of, and it, this is probably the De Palma touch. It treats itself mm-hmm. like a piece of art. It's like, this is going to be, it felt like the Godfather or Heat or yeah. something. Like it was treating itself really seriously. And it's a much darker, grimmer movie. There's more yeah. death in it. And it is. I know, they kill Emilio Estevez in a very um, violent way. Yes. Oh my gosh. I, well, I even had to look up and say, is this, was this rated R? It was PG-13, but yeah, it's just that in the first few minutes of the movie, and they do a great job of giving you this feeling like this, you know, like like the show. This is a group of people that get things done together. They are a team. They talk to each other like they're a family. They're making inside mm-hmm. jokes just so we can kill them all. Like kill them all yeah. except the except the, the one woman. Um, yeah. You know, and Me that either. was it's brutal. It's very dark. It is dark. And, and I think it's a great idea um, giving us somebody like Emilio Estevez because your brain is a movie 
goer goes, oh, that's he's going to be in the whole movie because he's oh, yeah. a movie star. They focus on him almost as much as Tom. Uh, yeah, at the beginning, he did a great job with that. Uh, that, and that I think is, and, and, where I think where the movies kind of fall off is when it becomes an Ethan Hunt movie and not like I like. I think the J.J. Abrams touch is like we have to put a team together, right? And and then I think the movies do better, even like finally because there's sort of like one group of people plus Ving Rhames every movie uh, working with Tom Cruise, Ethan Hunt, and so I like when they're like, oh, Jeremy Renner's back because he was in the last one. That makes sense. Or right. Alex Baldwin. Or there's like a grouping of them. And this, I feel like they captured it right from the beginning in the very first one because you kind of like them. You're like, oh, this is fun. Super Spies. This is great. Yeah. I'm going to watch this whole movie. And then, bam, they're gone. I will say for all the, I just said it that, you know, De Palma treats it real seriously, but it it, it, it has kind of got some kooky stuff in it that they don't, you don't see in many movies. First of all, lots of Dutch angles. The score... Yeah. The score is like this weird, almost silly kind of score. It almost feels like a an old Disney movie sometimes. I, I can't believe I'm yeah. saying this. But you know who it was scored by? Oh who? It was scored by uh uh the guy from U2, but not the one that you the two people you know. Um You're saying the <laughs> very was, first uh, one? Not Larry Mullen Jr., but the Adam Clayton. That's who it was. Adam You're... Clayton from U2 scored the first movie. Yes. The first movie? Wow. Yeah. Look it up. I I owned, okay, I will tell you, I loved the first movie when it came out. I was 14. It was right up my alley. I was starting to watch quote unquote grown-up movies for the first time. Yeah. Um, and this was one of them. I had the poster on my wall. I had the soundtrack on CD. And it was a, it was like a bunch of popular songs kind of of the era, and then an Adam Clayton score. <laughs> from you too i was like yeah oh, okay well and there's at least two scenes where de palma makes the camera ethan's point of view like literally yeah. the camera is walking around the room and people are staring right in the lens going hello mr hunt like he gets in a car yeah. like the camera gets in a car it's a very weird uh thing but but for the most part I, I i give this movie a little more respect than i did in my memory Oh, really? Okay. I, yeah, I was kind of expecting uh, with the buildup to it for you to be like, this movie is hilarious and a letdown and all that stuff. Cause I was no, like, no, no. I mean, it's just, it's just so, it's so different. And like, I, I will say, I also noticed Tom Cruise is playing the character so different. Um, yeah. And to, to see, wow, he, we have, like Indiana Jones, he has really grown up with this character because now he's kind of this world weary, seen it all, done it all, best of the best guy. Yeah. And, in, and in this first movie, he's like constantly chewing gum and like he's got this nervous energy. Like he's this young hotshot and he is yeah. like kind of cocky. And um, yeah, this is like, it's almost like this is the movie that rocked Ethan Hunt's world. Yeah. Turned him into more than just an agent on the team. It seems yeah. Like. He definitely, he definitely, he plays it different for a minute. You can tell which happens, you know, like it's very rare for people to just walk into a franchise or, like you said, they didn't even know they were going to make one and know exactly what it's going to be. But like, especially when it gets into the second one, you're like, who is this guy? I don't even know. <laughs> right. He really, well, uh, I think we should, uh, I, I will say that it, the things that I remember from this first movie and I re-remembered them again, watching it was that the heist at Langley is an iconic scene where he's hanging it is. In, in that harness in that white room. It's still classic. I did not show my kids. They haven't watched the whole movie, but I showed them this 20 minute sequence i was like you gotta watch this yeah because it's it's as classic as as any uh it's as classic as indiana jones running from a boulder uh yes. you know or like vader and obi-wan facing off this is like 
it, it kind of, I think that's why we wanted more movies because that what kept sticking around were iconic set piece scenes and, and like a, a location yeah. we're going to remember for weeks. Yeah. And, the, and I think they carry that over into every movie where there's one thing that takes the time that it takes to do the thing. Like they actually, they do a good job of showing it kind of play by play and you're, I mean, they do it. I think the best example is maybe the last, well, the fallout where yeah. the last, the last, sequence of fallout is just like that oh. on steroids oh my gosh yeah <laughs> hold off because but, i i can't wait to talk about that. we'll get there I, yeah yeah i'm gonna reference that but that yeah that that whole sequence was i think it's the reason i became a fan of the movie i was like this is incredible it's yeah. so and it works even now it's very like the sweat coming off of his face yeah everything about that scene is beat for beat it's it's so good and this is before tom cruise became known for these these giant stunts where where yeah. you you know the press is like oh my gosh he's really doing this clearly in these first few movies clearly green screen clearly doing a lot yeah. of work on a stage and, and and it's more of that again it feels like the old show made into a feature uh where yeah. we're, we're not expecting anything more from our actors at this point like with the the helicopter going through the tunnel and the train um yeah and and it's funny that we, we'll see our bad guys get more and more deadly uh our our <laughs> This bad guy is—he's fighting John Voight, you know. I think and Tom Vanessa Christian Redgrave. Right. Yeah, yeah, Vanessa John Redgrave. John Voight, John Voight. Yeah, that's right. Well, I know I'm—I I'm, I don't know if you have anything more to say about the first one because I know we're both dying to talk about Mission Impossible Two. Oh, we could do an entire episode about this, uh, about the second one. No, I—I—the I, first one is is a stone cold classic, which is for me, and it's—it's it's also interesting to note because you're right, like this is the same year that Tom Cruise did Jerry Maguire. Like it's the same oh, like wow. It just fe- it, it's to put it in context. Like he was, he was like a rom-com guy. Like he, he was kind of doing, you know, he'd come out of a few good men and different stuff earlier before this, but this was kind of what made him an action star. Yeah. Wow. Now that's all people know. Same thing with Will Smith. Like people forget, like my kids don't know that Will Smith and Tom Cruise had weren't born on a helicopter jumping off of it. They just don't know. Right. Right. Kind of amazing. And then I I do, I do wonder in an alternate universe, what would have been if they had continued the plan that we see in one, two and three, which is let's give this to an entirely different filmmaker with an entirely different tone, every single movie, and they can do whatever they want with it. Because number two is as different from number one as you can make two movies, I think. Yeah. I don't know what that conversation was, um, but man, it just, and, and I like John Woo. I think John Woo is a great, he's the director of the second one, but I don't, it just doesn't fit. I don't know what, I don't, I don't know. I've heard things like Tom Cruise was involved with it where he wanted to be like a Hong Kong action star, but it's just so over the top. I mean, yeah. there's a whole there's a whole Ben Stiller sketch that he did around this time where he plays Tom Cruise's uh, stunt double in yeah. the sketch. I don't know yeah. if you've seen that. It's oh, yeah. pretty great. But he calls it kicking impossible. And that's kind of what it feels like. There's so many <laughs> kicks. Like, out of the blue. Stiller's character suggests at one point, hey, right here when we all both jump off the motorcycle, why don't we freeze in midair and say, this mission just came up, became a whole lot more impossibler. Yeah. Um, Which and it does. It, it feels kinda, like. I mean, what? It kind of feels like they could do that. Like they do some really, really cheesy things in this movie. 
Well, it never has slow-mo been used so much in one movie. I mean, I, I tell like something like RRR and, and yeah. the, the frenzy over RRR made me go, you know what? Maybe I want to see that director do a Mission Impossible movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Cause it's, it's, this is like an ancestor to RRR. It doesn't go as crazy as RRR, but RRR, if you guys haven't seen it, it's this, uh, it's this crazy, it's an Indian filmmaker and it's, it came out last year and it is, it is like a, it's like a fantasy film almost. It's like a cartoon, like human beings do crazy things. They throw motorcycles at each other. Um, you know, but, but <laughs> in this one, we're walking into this after a De Palma movie and we're like, okay, uh, John Woo, we all love John Woo. And then we're like, wow, but this is kind of like, this is like making a birthday cake with um, orange juice or something. I, it's just, yeah, it's like it's you imagine. Really this weird. Yeah. We're, you're, you're giving us this crazy flavor. We didn't know uh, would fit with this. And um, like, even when Tom Cruise, he does kick a lot of people in this. Don't get me wrong. Uh, yes. Even when he kicks them, he kind of does like a flip through the air before he kicks them. Yeah. It's unnecessary. That's the thing where it, and if you watch the other ones, he's very, he's fighting people in very tight spaces and it's very like, I don't know, the punches are quick and, and efficient to the point, efficient. And this one, it's just all about like the dance of it, which I know is, is a filmmaker style and everything. And then maybe that's what they were going for. A lot of spinning. But I really wish if they would have continued where a different director made each movie, I would have really, I, I, I'm excited to the, eventually get to the point where Judd Apatow directs one of them. Um, <laughs> right. It's just them talking about their feelings. Um, yeah. But like, yeah, it, it really, this one, the second one, I, I texted you earlier where I was like, I always skip the second one because it's so, it's just bananas. And then I was like, maybe that's the reason to go back and visit it. I haven't <laughs> seen it since the theater. And even now, 23 years later, it's bananas. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good, it's a good late night watch. It'd be a good midnight movie I, because it is so bananas. Uh, you know, it, yeah, it's yeah, it, it's got so many mask poles in it. Uh, I think that they've kind of taken that down to like, look, we're going to do maybe one, maybe two mask things because we know you guys attach that you, yeah. to this franchise. But in this one, man, it's like six or seven different times people just pull a mask off left and right. And by the way. Um, there's like a process to making these masks, as we know now. There's there's some kind of 3D yeah. printer. There's a scanning process. In this movie, I think Tom just has like a bunch of masks in his knapsack. <laughs> yeah. Because at one point, at yeah. one point, he's sneaking through a lair and he suddenly takes on the identity of one of the henchmen he beats up. I'm like, where yeah. did he get that mask? I know. Is he like, okay, who am I gonna have to see today? And he just like is is making them in his apartment. Like, right. what is happening? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes. It's uh I Tom's mask maker is busy in this one. Um, yeah, and 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 I mean the the villain is kind of has the exact same haircut as Tom Cruise too. Like they this movie is basically a haircut kicking things cuz yeah. his hair does so much. It's the and this is the iconic opening scene where he's hanging from the cliff. Yep. I remember they made a big deal out of that. Um and they get a lot of really good hair hair shots with that. And also, it, he does the thing where he has the exploding Oakley sunglasses at the beginning. <laughs> right. Which he throws funny. the sunglasses. How late 90s is this? He throws the late so, He throws the sunglasses into the camera. They explode and Limp Biscuit begins. I know. <laughs> I believe. 
I would also say, you know, and I'm, I'm showing these more recent ones to my kids because um, they're exciting, but they're, the, a lot of the violence is kind of bloodless. It's not as cruel as these yeah. first ones are. And also there's like zero sex in it. And when I watched this one, I was like, oh, this is a very sexy movie. It this, is. This is maybe the sexiest movie. They, these two people, Fandy Newton and Tom Cruise, are all over each other. And the yeah. bad guy kind of is like constantly lusting after her. Like he's like a yeah. lion that's going to eat her. It's it's cra- and, yeah. and, the, and there's close ups of them all just like breathing heavily with sweat on them. I'm <laughs> like, good Lord, John Woo. Let's let's calm down a little bit. I know. It, it, yeah. Do Gray Scott is plays the main villain in the second one. And he. I, I yeah I can't decide. He's also not a scary villain for me. Like he's kind of a laughable. Like I can't tell what his motive is beyond. At one point he does wear a full denim suit. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I'm like I'm like this man doesn't have an ounce of fabric on him that isn't denim. It's very it's very distracting. Um, he's cornered. Imagine... That's part of his gig. He's cornered the <laughs> denim market, the international jeans uh, sy- uh, syndicate. Yeah, later they're smuggling plutonium, but first, denim. <laughs> uh, you know, it goes for a lot in uh, some uh, European countries. Absolutely. I would say, too, I forgot, you know, this is the one with Anthony Hopkins in it. That's I, I don't know. know that we've had somebody of his pedigree, uh, you know, that Alec Baldwin, yes, yeah, nice, but this was Anthony Hopkins, and he, he has one of my favorite lines I remember where he says, well, Mr. Hunt, this, isn't, this is not Mission Difficult, it's Mission Impossible. Difficult should be a walk in the park for you. Uh, mm-hmm. I love that line. That is a good line. He doesn't, and also like it's never established if he's the secretary in charge of IMF or if he's even involved. Like I can't really, because he's kind of there and then he never shows up again. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And they also have the turnover at the IMF is really something because they always have a different secretary. Uh, I think I think um, yeah, and agents are constantly dying. It's just it's a it's a turnstile. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you do you know one of the things that's a holdover from the TV show that I love that they kept. And they kind of make a joke, and I think at the end of three, is that the IMF stands for Impossible Mission Force. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and, they, and, and they say it with a straight face. Like right. later when they're having like that congressional hearing and they're like, we, we are disbanding the Impossible Mission Force. They're like, oh, are you kidding me? Right. I, yeah, that is a, that's a pretty uh, cartoonish name. It also occurred to me that Brendan Gleeson, who is one of the uh, he's like the buyer at the end of this movie. He's he looks very yeah. Trump. He looks very Trump like. I, I never thought about that. Very much so. Yeah. He ends up playing Trump later, like in, in some TV movie. Oh, my ago. gosh. Well, so I mean, we're, we're, we're deep into it. We should uh, we're, we're going to get to the ones we enjoy talking about more. But let's talk about Mission Impossible 3. There are some good things to say about that one. It feels like it yeah. still has the brutality of the first couple. But. Somehow they haven't quite made it to, uh, as we say, the Ghost Protocol era. Yeah. This is where they bring in J.J. Uh, Abrams in his first feature film. Um, was it really? Uh, uh, yeah, this was his first movie that he did. Like Tom Cruise saw Alias and loved it and asked and brought him in to do this. And That's what it feels like. Yeah, 100%, 100%. And like it has that like 2005, 2006 like washed out tones. Like it looks really gritty. Um and then I love Mission Impossible 3. I think 3 is where it really kicks in. Yeah, um, it's it's got some I, startlingly dark stuff about with with uh, Carrie Russell and um trying yeah. to rescue her. And then they introduce the whole idea of Ethan Hunt has a weakness. He like he got married. Yeah. He has a wife now. And that humanizes him 
and also in th- that goes ripples throughout the rest of the series, which I think is interesting. And then also kind of sets up, you know, Simon Pegg's character, um, which is very fun to watch him go from the guy in the chair to later on becoming a field agent. Yeah. What, then, boy, he really came a long way. He's like a lab nerd. And then, yeah, he, yeah. Becomes, a, the, the, he becomes part of the fun of why you want to go see these. Absolutely. And, and I would, for my money, the best villain in the series, which is Philip Seymour Hoffman, yeah. his character is terrifying. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Because he's not physically uh, Ethan Hunt's equal, but we are no. terrified. I mean, it just goes to show a good actor, man, they can do some things that no one else can do. And yeah. he's, when he's like, do you have a girlfriend or a wife? I'm going to find them. I'm going to hurt them. Yeah. He's like, but he's creepy. You believe him, though. Yeah. You believe that he's going to do it. And then he does. And you're like, oh, my gosh, this guy. Because the guy in the later, you know, he's great. They do a good job with him. He's creepy in his own way. Um, but this guy is just, Philip Seymour Hoffman's, I think it's Owen Davian is his name in the movie. Like, yeah. he's so good. He's such a good villain. And, you know, again, full spoiler alert, guys, pretty great twist with Billy Crudup. Yeah. You don't expect it. He seems like the one friend that Ethan Hunt has. And uh, Billy is a great actor to do that with. Because, man, he can be he can be hero or villain. He can play anything. I think yeah, and same same thing with Lawrence Fishburne plays the secretary of IMF or whatever. But he and he is both very he's very menacing or he's not menacing. He's just angry. He's just yeah. yelling a lot. And well, so isn't like, he? Well, he's kind of like the, the guy, guy. We're, we're led to believe is gonna like yeah. turn him in. Same thing with uh, I mean, with Alec Baldwin later, where you're like, yeah, I could see him. He's the thorn in our side. Get him out of here. And you're like, oh no, he just doesn't understand. He or he has his methods. Lawrence Fishburne does that in the third one. Yep, really yep. well. I feel like casting has a lot to do with that too. I'm swayed. There's only a few actors that could play. Well, he he's played villains before. He's played, uh, I don't know, somebody who's betrayed uh, the hero before. Yeah. Or there's something they're carrying with them that makes me really. And then Billy Crudup, he kind of like, you know, it's all it's how the actor plays it, and they they really mislead you in that one. And this also in in J.J. Uh, Abrams. Um, uh, alias style it begins right off the bat with like a very shocking scene where he's gonna yeah. his wife we don't even know it's his wife yet do we but like no it's a gun to this woman's head and he's like counting down from 10 and then we roll the credits the opening credits yeah they do a cool thing where they show us this movie isn't afraid to show what's go- what's coming up and you know it, it's a great device because you're like well how are we going to get to that point and, right. then it, and then as it unfolds, as it gets closer, you're like, okay, here we go. Okay, okay. And it's so, it's so basic, it just, but it works every single time. And then like, forget. And, and, and we're thinking, how are, how are we going to not shoot his wife? And then they shoot his wife. And guess what? Yeah. Mask pull. Yeah. Which we weren't, which we hadn't seen, I, I don't think, up until that point. Like they do, it's effective when they use it, you know, like sparingly when you forget about it. Yeah, it feels, especially after watching the second one, it feels more grounded and more rooted in reality. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, well, he's not spinning through the air like a turnstile kicking people. <laughs> um, but it does feel kind of like, it. It's this is the era of like Jack Bauer and 24 and stuff. And it kind of has, every movie kind of feels up to this point, up to like Ghost Protocol even, feels like, oh, I know what was going on in, in the era of movies and TV shows. They're trying to appeal to this kind of thing, still trying to figure it out. 
even JJ Abrams, you can tell like there's a couple lens flare type things. There's a couple like lost type things. Yeah. But overall, it feels like a it feels like what becomes the franchise, like what like what comes after it. And I mean, to JJ stays on kind of as a producer, right? You know, but yeah. I, I don't I don't know I don't know if that's just name only or what his involvement is because I know it's mostly Cruz and McQuarrie, but. Yeah, but yeah, I I love that he's you know people love to give J.J. Abrams guff, um, mostly on the internet. But uh, I I think he does an amazing job of breathing life back into franchises that need it. Yeah, man, I enjoyed this, this I one enjoyed this one. I do remember that. And um, I think it's kind of like the pendulum was swinging so far with one, two, and then on three they're like, okay, let's stop swinging the pendulum so much. And yeah. it swung a lot less, and got. It's like they said, "I think this is our tone. I think this is the consistent tone that people are responding to." And then Ghost yeah. Protocol was kind of where they like, they said, "Let's keep doing this, this Ghost Protocol thing," and it's yeah. never deviated from that at that point. Whatever no, that they is. definitely feel all kind of the same type of movie from there on. I think yeah. Ghost Protocol. I think Ghost Protocol might be my favorite one. Yeah, I mean, I was really pleased with when I heard Brad Bird was going to direct a live action movie. I, you know, yeah. I think I think what we remember is him climbing up that massive skyscraper with those magic gloves. You know, blue is glue and yeah. red you're dead, and that yeah. is kind of the signature scene from that. And I think that's when we started paying attention to the big set piece stunts that Tom would do. Yeah, because three doesn't really have one that I can think of that was like marketable. Like they're like, he's going to do this. Like him climbing the side of that. I think the whole reason we know about that is because he actually does them. Right. So it's, right. it's this whole thing that like one of the most iconic movie stars still alive is actually doing the thing instead of sending out a stunt double or whatever, or CGI. Right. Right. So right. And he does have stunt thing. doubles for some things, but, but the amount of learning that he likes to do, the amount of training for different skill sets it's fascinating yeah. to me. And I think that while he's climbing on the building, I, I, what's great is it's it's also paired with all this other switcheroo they're trying to do where they're trying to, I, I think they're trying to uh, buy and sell and exchange like a briefcase full of nuclear codes on yeah. two different levels of a hotel. So they're like tricking the bad guy into walking into the wrong room. And yeah, Benji's got a fake arm and, you know, <laughs> there's some fun. I, know, there. I love the, I love the fake. Arm. They, they do a really good job of, letting you be in the room as the audience member of like them discussing what's going to go down, but then there's still elements to it when it plays out kind of like oceans 11 did where you're like, Oh, I didn't see that coming. Oh, that's fun. Right. Or how do they know how to do that? You know? Right. Uh, let us in on like, just the, enough. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in the way that everybody snaps into action, Paula Patton, the actress uh, oh, yeah. is, is, is really good in it. Oh, she's um, great. I think this is, is this the one where they, or I guess it's the next one, rogue nation. I feel like they're always going rogue, so I can't tell. Right. Um, they're always like, this is all that the IMF is. is everybody in this room. They're and, constantly, yes, they're constantly getting disavowed. Constantly getting disavowed. And, and also, I'm just like, is, does everything just shrink down like, where it's able, they're able to carry it? Because the amount of stuff that they just bust out, I'm like, where was that stored? Like, I only saw everybody bring in one backpack each. I'm yeah. like, this is really impressive, the amount of stuff that they have at their disposal. Because even in Rogue Nation, we'll get to that, the next one, but like, they're on a train car and you're like, this is it. And then, <laughs> but the, they have so much at their disposal. 
there, it doesn't ever feel like they're really handicapped by anything. That would, that's what would have been fun in the ones where they are truly like, we are, we don't have a, a, a IMF to get back to, to be like, all right, I guess we're going to use this pencil and chewing gum. I don't know. Like, yeah. I, I, you know, many would say that's going MacGyver, but I'd also say it's kind of like pulling an Iron Man three. Like what happens when you yes. take away all the gadgets? Which that's my favorite Iron Man. Cause you get to, you get to see him kind of try to figure it out and build a suit in a garage. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that kind of stuff. I always, I was waiting for that. And I don't know, it can, a missed opportunity. I feel like it's fun well, to see the gadgets, but it's also fun to see them have to do what they do without it. Yeah. I feel like when the, this whole series, as we're talking about the franchise as a whole, we, we maybe showed up for the gadgets and the masks but we stay for like the people who are like trusting and betraying each other and making yeah. desperate choices. And like, and, and even when Ethan has to jump from here to there, it's like, he is the guy that never gives up, that never says die. And I think that's what we're going yeah. back for is to see, like, there's a lot of things where we have to settle in life and he just refuses to settle. Yeah. Um, I think that, and I haven't seen the new one, but you know, one of the signature clips in the, in the trailer is just like, you know, Ethan, we have to choose the mission or the people or that you love. And he's like, I don't accept that. And so yeah. he's the guy that will not accept compromise and tries to get it all done at once. And um, yeah. And, the, and the, the, especially in this movie, the concept of time doesn't, in all of the movies, the concept of what 15 minutes is blows my mind. Like, <laughs> they get a lot done in 15 minutes don't they oh my gosh yeah i mean and it's a great i think also brad bird infuses a little bit more humor like when he's climbing the the the, the building at the end they keep the countdown going in his ear and he's like that's not helping like, there's little like little <laughs> pithy comments back and forth which simon Pegg has a lot to do with that too because he's very funny um but yeah it just it feels a little bit more like what we were talking about in the very first one where they're like oh this is a team these are people who like have each other's backs even jeremy renner which you're like well jeremy renner's played both good and bad is he gonna end up being a bad guy right they keep us questioning him and i feel like they may originally have brought him on to groom him to take over but he ain't oh. taking over no 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 it's weird to cast a similar type like he plays a hero in his own movies so it's like yeah, at that same time, this is 2011 for Gross Protocol, so he's he's already Hawkeye at this point. Yeah, that was interesting. Um, what else did I remember from that? Well, I guess it, it, this is the one with the climax in like the 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 multi level parking garage, the mechanized parking yes. garage. Oh yeah. Somehow, somehow they made this older bearded guy able to fight Ethan Hunt because yeah. they're like flipping and falling all over the place, and oh yeah, he, yeah. Yeah, that that there's just some of these people where you're like, maybe that's what made them such a good, like terrorist boss because they are tough. They don't have to show it, you know. It's like it's like an old cop on the force where he's like a little bit overweight now, but in his right. prime. And then when it needs to come out, it comes out because yeah, that whole sequence it makes you question: wait, is is he in really good shape, or is Ethan Hunt not in as good a shape as we think? Right. Or as at the end of every one of these movies, I'm like, man is he tired because he ran that whole movie. <laughs> like he doesn't stop to eat a snack, no protein right. bars, no nap. That's what right. I love about the, the Indiana Jones movies. There's once a movie, Indiana Jones takes a nap. And I really appreciate that. <laughs> Ethan Hunt, not taking a nap. Yeah. No well, way. sometimes when they go, meanwhile, in this country, I'm like, that was a 12 hour flight. That has to be where he's getting some sleep. 
Oh, yeah, let's hope. He's never you know, fighting or, jet. He's never fighting jet lag while he's fighting the guy. He's like, oh, I'm just so tired. No, no. Uh, I, I would watch that movie where he's just fighting jet lag the whole movie. Right. Um, he just can't stay awake during his, his boss's dinner or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's the one thing you can't do. But well, yeah, I mean, I, I like to think if he's on that 12 hour flight, he's making all those masks. Yeah, that's and, it. That's your mask making time is on the flight. So like, look, we got we got 10 to 12 hours. Yeah. So all of our planes are going to have a mask making uh, room in them. Yeah, everybody grab a spindle and a mold <laughs> and some rubber. I'll show you how to do it. <laughs> grab a spindle. <laughs> uh, man. Um, and then uh, we, we might as well go to Rogue Nation. We might as well. This is uh, where the Chris McQuarrie era is beginning. And he may have had something yeah. to do with Ghost Protocol. Um, I know that he and Tom were making Valkyrie the Hitler killing movie. Oh, that's right. Um, and they just there. I don't know what it is. I would love to know. I'd love to hear more about why they love working together so much, because it seems like they've really just found their pairing and they just yeah. love making movies together. And Tom I think they're Cruise both crazy. That, what? I think, I think so too. Tom Cruise does that. He picks a, a filmmaker and, and just kind of like, stays with him for a while he did that with cameron crow for a while right um and, and with like jerry Maguire and vanilla sky and he's just like this is my guy and then he he pivots over to somebody else um i feel like he was trying to do that with jj a little bit maybe still is in cahoots with jj i don't know but he, he kind of picks people for about four or five movies and he's like but he seems to yeah there's something i never even heard of christopher mcquarrie before these movies Right. Well, I knew he was I knew he was the usual suspects guy. And his story um, is kind of amazing. Like he went into movie exile for a while. He talks about it uh, for four or five years after winning an Academy Award for usual suspects. He kind of he tried to make another movie. I think he made something called Way of the Gun. I mean, he he was making he was making crime movies. And then I think that Valkyrie was where, you know, Tom liked usual suspects or something. And it was just kind of like it's something he was able to hop aboard, but, but he was kind of in movie jail. He was kind of just out there and mm-hmm. you know, all it takes is uh, the greatest movie star in the world to take a liking to you, I guess. Oh, um, it's that easy. Yeah. But, but also I, I don't know where Chris McQuarrie has been in his life or his career, but he's as crazy behind the camera. It sounds yeah. like as Tom is in front of it, that they both, are egging each other on to where the stories I hear and he, man, he is a great storyteller. If you get Christopher McQuarrie on any podcast he's been on, he'll talk for hours about the process and be very open about it. And they would like get to a location in the world and just go, you know what? Let's like, they're making it up as they go. Like they have the script, but they just keep throwing stuff out and trying new things uh-huh. um, while they're on location. It just sounds insane to me with that amount of money and, that yeah. size of a production but they both kind of have figured out how to make it work i guess i guess so maybe that's the the game recognized game between the two of them is like right. i see you got crazy in your eyes too let's do this right right well i mean and we'll get to fallout but i remember him telling a story about henry cavill and the whole foot chase where tom cruise is on the rooftops trying to get yeah. henry cavill and and macquarie said the day we were shooting this, we weren't quite sure if Henry Cavill had the briefcase in his hand or not. So every place we shot with him walking through the city, we would shoot a version without the briefcase and a version with the briefcase. Like that's how spun around oh. they were at that point of like, I, we'll get in the edit room and 
figure it out. Oh, yeah, wow, like they, I didn't realize that. They couldn't remember. Should he have the briefcase with the plutonium in it yet? Um, but Rogue Nation also gave us um, uh, Elsa, which is probably yeah, the coolest right. character the we've house. had in the series. That I know, if, I love her. If they announced an Elsa movie, I would go see it because uh, yeah. Rebecca Ferguson is kind of having a moment. She's kind of the movie star that nobody really knows her name. Um, yeah, like, what else has she done? Well, she was in The Greatest Showman. She was uh, P.T. Barnum's okay. temptress. And uh, she is in the show Silo right now as the lead. Oh, cool. um, what else? She's been in a couple horror movies. She was in the, the sequel to The Shining. Um, oh. What yeah. was that? Is it, wait, Dr. Sleep? Is it yeah. That one? Yeah. Okay. And so it's like she just keeps popping up and she just she's keeps, great. She keeps making movies better and she's never like the first on the call sheet, but. Every time I just I just have found myself in the past five years going, oh, my gosh, there's Rebecca Ferguson again, MVP. And I think that this is now we're at least kind of like paying attention to her more and more in these movies. And she's in this next one. And so I'm I'm glad that she's become kind of a constant player, along with Benji and uh, whatever uh, Jeremy Renner's name is. And uh, (laughs) Luther, Luther. Yeah, Luther's got to be. I love how Luther like the cool one and he he's i didn't know what he did at first he's he's like he can whatever deprogram and right snip bombs and stuff um but i love as it goes on especially in the in rogue nation and fallout he's just kind of like he softens a little bit more and you see kind of the big teddy bear of, of luther uh especially as he like i like his relationship with uh michelle monahan's character oh yeah like towards the end and stuff, you're like, oh, I see. Yeah, that Luther and Luther's known at this point, known Ethan for 25 years, if not longer. Yeah, and I think that he and uh, and, and uh, Ethan's wife, I think Luther has a special connection with her because I think he helped like start her new life. You know, she had to start a new life and oh, that's disappear, right. and he was part of that. So maybe he also checks up on her. Um, that is a hair raising final. Uh, well, no, I think we're getting to fallout here. That's what we're getting to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rogue Nation is is. Wait, now I'm getting. I just watched them and I'm getting them mixed up. Right. Like, uh, like well, now it is. Now it is kind of like I think as we both feel. Uh, since the third one, Ghost Protocol, Rogue Nation, there's this game that this franchise is playing with itself. Like, how can we one up ourselves? How can we make this next one even bigger? Yeah. And it just gets, it's like it's daring itself to go farther and farther each movie. Because uh, Fallout yeah. feels like, oh, you like motorcycle chases or you like car chases? Well, here's the craziest one we've ever done. Um, yeah. And also the villains get that. Now we have a consistent villain that carries over. Um, yeah, what's his Rogue name Nation. again? Um, Lane. Lane, yeah. Solomon Lane. He has... His- <laughs> His voice is way higher than it should be. He's down here and he speaks. He's like Mr. Burns. He does this <laughs> kind of like, excellent. <laughs> right, right. And he's, yeah. and it's, it's, and now we're not just dealing with a person. We're dealing with like these zealots of some larger organization. It's the syndicate. It's the apostles. It's the disciples. It's just, it's always something. Yeah. You know what? I really do appreciate with all of these movies dealing with domestic and global terrorists, they never make it political. And I really do like that they they keep it 
Tom Cruise is pretty good at that too. Like Top Gun, the newest one did that. Right. Where it's, it's like, like what you're end... saying, it's like a generic uh, movie yeah. movie threat. And it feels real because that's what happens. You know, like a terrorist organization starts, they get squashed out and then their, their quote unquote apostles come forth, you know, a few years later or whatever. But like, it's never based on anything from any region of the world. And they, they, they do a good job of keeping it like, because with Solomon Lane, he's he's getting all these presumed dead agents from MI6 and from the IMF and from the CIA and everything uh, together. And it's like to form this terrorist group, which is terrifying because they know all the stuff that Ethan and Benji know. They know how to do all that stuff. But on the flip side, but yeah, they never make them like, oh, now they're fighting, you know, these terrorists in the Middle East or something. It never turns right. it. Because which is smart on business level too, because they need this to be global. <laughs> right, we're we're in an era of global well. of global movies having to travel all over the world. So it's like, yeah, you can't yeah. make too many enemies. I mean, yeah, and even really even job. when they do like Germans, they're like, or or you know, it's like, well, this is this is some uh, you know, this is some splinter group uh, that still wants to be Nazis from World War II or whatever, you know. Yeah. Not not blaming yeah. any single country. Um, I found it confusing if we get to fallout now, you know, we have a lot of people to keep track of and yeah. um, even Macquarie will say, look, I, I don't know if that I can tell you the plots of these movies when I'm done with them. Um, but we have the white widow. I love Vanessa Kirby. Uh, yeah, me too. I, I love that she's back in this next one and she's uh, kind of another force to be reckoned with. So we got a lot of strong female characters in this one. Um, and yeah, Ilsa Faust is back. Yes, she's back. And that uh what I always remember is that bathroom fight with Henry Cavill. Yes, it's so good. And whoever plays that guy, that John Lark character that they're looking for. Yeah. That it's such a good that's that feels like it could go down as an iconic yeah. Mission Impossible scene for sure. Because it's, it's so insane. well choreographed. It really is. And the motorcycle and I, where Ethan's on the motorcycle is like I'm just thinking this guy with no helmet and Apparently they really did it. They're just like it's Tom Cruise's no helmet, just like going through the narrow streets <laughs> of this town where they're blocking traffic. Oh, it's very, it's it's all very stressful. But I, it, it once again, I, I just am so curious. I just keep going back to what what's Tom Cruise's diet? Is he like chugging a Red Bull? Is he like <laughs> all natural? Does he just shoot himself with a B twelve shot? Like he has, or is he just getting high on adrenaline at this point? Because even Hunt just go, 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 go. It's like he <laughs> is, is this the one there? There's there's one where he gets into a car accident with Benji. It flips a million times forward. Yeah, the car flips forward, and then he gets out, gets on the on the bike, and then it's now it's a high speed bike chase, and you're just like, oh my gosh, dude! Right, he like, is post. He's well, that that's Rogue Nation, and that is that is yeah. a sequence of he holds his breath for like seven minutes and almost drowns and has to be brought back to life with, yeah. um, uh, you know, defibrillator paddles. Yeah, and then he goes right. stumbling out and gets in that car and they have the car chase that flips end over end. Like you're talking about. And yeah. then post concussion and post drowning, <laughs> he gets on a motorbike, uh, a motorbike, he gets on a motorcycle and he's like a hundred mile an hour chase down the highway. Yeah. And then I believe he like falls off of that bike. Yeah. It's just at, at, at what point is it going to be enough, Ethan? I'm so worried for you. Right. He needs he needs uh, metal <laughs> bones. Well, and then and then it, when we get to Fallout, um, 
you get to the end of this movie and it is so heightened. Uh, yeah. The, the fact that he falls, kind of free falls off a helicopter and grabs onto that payload that's dragging behind oh, it. Oh my gosh. And then he shimmies up that rope. Then, uh, you know, we've all heard that Tom learned to fly a helicopter himself, yeah. which I feel is highly unnecessary. It is. It, it, there's ways to do this without learning how to fly a helicopter. <laughs> I know, I know. We have the technology. We really uh, do. It's okay. And then both of them, both he and Cavill, it's cool because they fight side by side. And you're like, what's this guy's deal? And then you're like, nope, he's the villain. Uh, and yeah. then it's like they are crashed on a cliff. And that when that, how, what is it? The, the helicopter starts rolling down the cliff towards Ethan. He can't get out of yeah. the other one. And so both helicopters go over the side of the cliff and then they're like kind of mashed down into this, like, I don't know what it is this little chimney that's been carved in the side yeah. of the, the cliff. And, and it's then, hanging on like by like the hook is hanging on to a piece of rock. Right. Like that. It, well, that's what happens. Then it tumbles down. And then there's like this, yeah, this like steel cable and a hook that they're fighting, hanging on. And, and you know, that cable's going to snap and that hook is going to take somebody out. I, oh it, yeah. I feel like I could see into the past, like Tom Cruise and Christopher McQuarrie sitting in a room writing the script going, now, now, what if this happens? And then, and then the other guy goes, oh, and, and what if this happens? And then, like, it's just like it one-ups each other over and over and over. Yeah, constantly. It doesn't disappoint, though. That, that last, it's supposedly 15 minutes. Who knows? The last half hour of Fallout is really stunning. And, and it, it, it's really fun. And you're just like, how in the world are they get? You just and I've seen it, and I'm still like, how are they going to get out of this? I don't right. know. Right, it's pretty amazing. And and because on the ground they have Luther, you know, defusing the bomb with Tom Cruise's ex-wife, yeah, uh, assisting him, and that's a really intense but kind of sweet moment where she's like, I want to help. And then and then Ilsa and Benji are fighting Solomon Lane in this cabin where the other bomb is. And it's just so convoluted. Like we have to cut both of these at the same time. It truly is, Corey. And then, yeah. And then Dare Tom. Say, it's an it's an impossible mission. Yeah. <laughs> it really it really does seem impossible, guys. I, I really I wanted one of the now briefing, that I'm saying out loud. I want one so of the impossible. briefing sessions for them to be like, guys, this really. I know this time it really does seem impossible. Mm -hmm. Um. They. But what's crazy is in yeah, Ethan's trying to get like it's the kill switch that he's trying to get to. So they actually come up with like three things that everybody in the team has got to be in one of these three places. And it yeah. all has to work at once and they lose their communication. So they're trusting yeah, right. if I cut, you know, let's cut these wires as, as uh, Luther says to uh, Elsa, like we're going to cut these wires on these two nuclear bombs at the last possible second to give Ethan as much time as he can. Cause we don't know we're, at, we're on blind faith that he's even, still achieving this goal yeah and so all three know, like, it, all three it, teams are like we may be dying in a second you know yeah it, it, it's a sweet moment too because they don't show ethan get up to the top but so the audience also has to trust that he did it you know yeah so i think they cut to they they kind of uh, fool us with the sun breaking over a mountain and yeah. so you see Tom hanging from the cliff and this bright, bright light that looks like a nuclear blast consumes the frame. Yeah. And then it and then it sinks back into a sunset. And you're like, ah, you got me. Yeah. And he's hanging there. He's hanging there this time. Not for fun. He's hanging there this time. 
it, he it, just beat up he just beat up superman literally um, yeah yeah literally a cliffhanger too yeah it is yeah. funny that like in in movie one he's fighting john voight and by this time it's like <laughs> okay he's fighting the guy he's fighting superman basically this he's is the, fighting superman yeah the superman guy fallout also has my favorite i think my favorite uh face mask switcheroo in the whole series which is yes him him talking to solomon lane henry cavill's character and thinking that it's that it's solomon lane and he exposes himself and then it turns out that it like they they pull this whole switcheroo including alec baldwin's character yeah it's all just it's all for show to get henry cavill because they know that he's that he's a double agent yeah and they want to get him to it's back. so satisfying it's really great yeah, because they, they I watch it every time I watch it, I'm like, where do they get me? Because we know they do this in these movies. We're waiting for yeah. it and they still got me. Yeah. Couldn't believe I think it. there's I I don't think it's on purpose, but the fact that they do all kind of especially from Macquarie and taking over, and they kind of feel the same. You forget which movie's which as you're watching a bunch of them in a row. So you're like, wait, what happens in this one? I don't remember. And so it I don't think it's designed that way, but it definitely works. Cause I'm like, wait, is this the one? <gasps> yes, there it is. And it's, it's <laughs> always satisfying. It's always good. Yeah. It, it kind of doesn't matter that they blur together. I was, when I was showing these to my kids, I'm like, okay, I think we should start with ghost protocol. And I could, it was just what you were saying. It's this phenomenon where I'm like, it almost feels like the, the most expensive TV series ever now, because yeah. I'm like, I can't remember what happens in this one. And, and then I remember right before it happens to me again yes uh yes. it's kind of fun it is fun well do you have um you, well I, i'm sure a lot of people listening to this show right now have already seen dead reckoning part one That's um right. but i want to know your predictions to dead reckoning part one uh first of all i want to know do you think there's a sequel <laughs> i would love it if this is the final mission impossible movie just ever and they're like, wait, wait a second. Um, there's probably going to be a sequel. The I ultimate guess. twist. I mean, he's he even said this this week. I think when he was doing press that he's going to do this until he's eighty, like Harrison Ford. Um, so there there will be many more Dead Reckonings. Um, <laughs> what if this is now? It's just going to be Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part Five. Part one. I mean, part what? Yeah, there you go. It's just going to keep I mean, they going. Could... <laughs> they could have done that at the beginning. Yeah, maybe uh, he becomes a zombie. He becomes like an unkillable. That's what the title means. Maybe so. I don't know. I don't have... That's the thing with these movies is, is it doesn't really... Because my son was asking about them as I was watching them. He was kind of in and out of the room and he was like, he's almost 13. And he was like, I kind of want to watch these. And I'm like, yeah, you can. And he was like, but I want to start at the beginning. And I'm like, you don't have to. Um, you can kind of just jump in wherever that that um, is also great there either there are things that can weave these together especially that kittredge is back from the first film yes. holy cow um, i know i i really want ethan to say you've never seen me well i guess you have seen me very upset <laughs> one time uh there was a time in that cafe you saw me very upset right um but it is great how you can just you can watch one out of the blue that it can be on saturday afternoon and you can just watch it out of context and yeah. still enjoy it they don't do cliffhangers, I've noticed. And it does feel like episodic television in that way. So I don't have... I think that's part of the reason why I had to watch them all again to remember. Because I want to get all the little things on the first viewing of the, the new one. So I'm like, I have to remember who these people are because I don't remember. 
Right. Um, other than you know Ving Rhames and and uh, Simon Pegg, and now and now Rebecca Ferguson, I will remember forever. Right. Uh, well, I'm getting nervous because we've gotten to know these people for so long over so many movies. It's almost time for one of them to die, and I don't want them to die. Oh, uh, if they if they take out Luther, I don't know. I'm not going to be okay. <laughs> Okay. Well, and Simon Pegg jokes every time they make one of these movies for like the past three movies. He says, "I don't know how we're going to do it again. I don't know uh, how is this. How can we do anything bigger than what we just did?" And I, I feel like this is here. My here's my crazy hot take that maybe after Dead Reckoning one and two, I'd be up for like a really small like cat and mouse kind of a plot that is like you know, very few people and like, I don't know, just go another direction so that you don't have to like yeah, uh, fly a jumbo jet uh, through the Grand Canyon. Like we can, I, I, I'm in it for like, you know, more than that. And I, and I'd be fine if they went small next time. I don't think you can sell Tom Cruise on that. I don't think he knows how to do small at all. I don't, I don't, yeah. I, don't I really don't think I was like, Hey, what if we did this with like half the budget this time guys? And we just <laughs> maybe like set it in like Des Moines. Like... <laughs> well maybe it's not maybe it's not bigger bigger and bigger and bigger each movie but now it's just more uh different where in the world can we go uh yeah. i think they're having to be more and more creative and and i'm looking forward to that as long as they want to do them i i, I want to go see them oh yeah for sure like i will always be i've seen every one of these in the theater i don't plan on stopping now yeah well in in a time where they're trying to get people back to the theaters these are definitely theater going movies and that's why i love that they keep making them i know this summer especially feels feels special in that way because we had indie and now we have this movie and then you know barbie and oppenheimer yeah <laughs> coming up like it just really does seem like oh i think everybody's enjoying going back to the movies i know indie didn't make the movie the money they wanted it to make but i mean i saw it in the theater and the theater was pretty full yeah um, so yeah i i hope that people keep going this summer um i i know we're at the end of our, our hour and the end of our mission we made it um oh. i know that uh you are busy 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 as a musician all around the arkansas area is there anything else to know about you right now um yeah i have a podcast called betterman film club where i talk about movies and uh mental health if people want to hop over there uh it's been on hiatus because my house got hit by a tornado <laughs> there's that there's that so it the, sounds like one so, of these movies actually right that's the one thing we haven't seen ethan hunt fight is a tornado i need to see him <laughs> punch one or swirl kick i'm fine with swirl kicking a tornado oh that's great uh, we haven't dealt with weather for the sandstorm in ghost protocol but right um well you yeah, survived so that I, thank goodness and you've got yourself it. in a better yes. house now right yeah i'm in a better place quite literally and uh <laughs> i i i'm back <laughs> but i was displaced for two months so we took a hiatus and we're coming back with new episodes of betterman film club if people want to check that out all right definitely check out betterman film club and go to nickflora.com for nick's music which is always great yeah and uh and yeah and you know what i'm gonna go see dead reckoning you go see dead reckoning and uh let's 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 reconvene if tom cruise lives in this one what do you say <laughs> yeah that'd be great if they killed him and it's just gonna be benji following him around for the rest of the time <laughs> <laughs> it's him getting a job at best buy in the second one <laughs> yeah the geek squad all right well uh that's our mission if we choose to accept it and, uh, and i'll see you next time all right sounds good
I guess this podcast just got a whole lot more possibler. I'd like to thank my guest host, Agent Nick Flora, for joining me as we had a fun romp, a full tilt Tom Cruise run through six Mission Impossible movies. Go see Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning and meet us back here for the next episode when we talk about that brand new movie. Until then, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to be creative, be kind, have fun. I'm Special Agent Corey Edwards. Thanks for stopping by.